Would you please stand with me and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. If you don't, can't read that, it's too small, too far away. We're reading from the New King James in Matthew chapter 6, beginning the middle of verse 9. Uh, but if you know it, then you can quote it. If you learned it in a different translation, just quote that. Okay, let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, as we look in your word, speak into our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You were created to bring glory to a righteous, holy, awesome God. Is this how you pray? Jesus said, after this manner pray you. Do you pray, hallowed be your name? Do you pray that his name would be honored and glorified and sanctified and set apart and special? You know, some people say, oh my and then they put God's name there. That's not a respectful use of His name. And we, we exalt Him and we lift Him up. Do you pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Is one of your prayers that you would be more obedient, more connected, more observant of following God in your daily life? Is that one of your prayers? I think that too many of our prayers are actually trying to get our will done on earth and in heaven instead of God's will done in heaven and on earth. We've got it backward. And Jesus wants you to focus your attention on honoring God and then doing His will in your everyday life in your prayers, and in your life. We don't need to live the way the world lives. God has called us into a different kind of life, and He can make it work. So today we're going to look in Luke chapter 2 at some people who have dedicated their lives to trust and follow the Lord and asking two questions. What catches your attention? And then, what keeps your attention? Jesus wants you to focus your attention on honoring God and doing His will every day. And so, we're going to look at a couple of people this morning. We're going to look at Simeon and tonight Anna and look at how their attention was focused on the Lord. And there's a, th a three-step thing that I'll show you as we look in this passage of Scripture that, that you see, first you do this, then you do that, then this happens. And, and I'm not going to tell you what this, that, and this is, but, but when you, I will eventually, just not yet. But most people want to reverse that order. They want to start with the blessings and then maybe get around to the other stuff. And most prayers are self-centered instead of God-centered. 
And prayer, in part, is to bring ourselves in line with God. Yes, we confess our sins, we ask His forgiveness. Yes, we petition Him and ask for blessings. We share thanks with Him. But our goal is to get closer to God in the process. So, in Luke chapter 2, last week we looked, and Christmas Eve we looked at uh, a, a little bit at Mary and then uh, the shepherds who came. And now, this is after that. Uh, so, if you look a couple of verses ahead in verse 22, they, the days of our purification came. Uh, they went and uh, presented Jesus, uh, and he was uh, then um, circumcised uh, because the law uh, prescribed that. And now uh, they've come to present an offering and a sacrifice. If you read through the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 12, it says, for those who were Israelites, those who were of Jewish descent, uh, that they were to have a son circumcised on the eighth day, and then about the 40th day, 33 days after that, they would then present, the mom would present herself uh, and present a child. Now, because they were in Bethlehem, they presented him in the temple. I don't think they had to go to the temple to present him. They could do it but to a priest in their community, but they had to present the son to the Lord. And uh, I, I'm not exactly sure why. The Bible never explains why. It's just God's in charge. He makes the rules, right? So for the girls, they had to wait 80 days. For the boys, just 40 days before they could present them in the temple or present them in public worship. So Mary and Joseph, they've done that. They've named him Jesus. Now they bring him into the temple and they're bringing an offering. Also in Leviticus 12, the traditional offering after a son was born was to bring a lamb and they had a two-part offering. And so a turtle dove and then a lamb. And the lamb was the sin offering to recognize that we need salvation. And, uh, but for poor people, they could just present two turtle doves. Instead of a turtle dove and a lamb, they could present two turtle doves. So we anticipate that Mary and Joseph uh, did not have much money because they present Jesus with two turtle doves. So look in uh, verse 25. And behold, uh, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, the consolation was the coming of the Messiah. He was waiting for that. And then the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. By the way, when it says the Holy Spirit was upon him, uh, some people get that idea that the Holy Spirit does that today, that he'll come upon someone and then that person is anointed of God. Actually, the Scripture says we're all anointed by God to serve Him. Some serve in different capacities, but we're all anointed to serve Him. And the Holy Spirit lives inside believers in the New Testament. The Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was coming upon people. And in the Old Testament, He would come upon and He could leave. Uh, he did that with King Saul, if you've read through that history. But 
in the New Testament, once you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit now lives within. Jesus told his disciples this was going to happen, and then we see it happening in the book of Acts, and all through the rest of the Scripture, uh, after the book of Acts through Revelation, we read about the Holy Spirit living inside believers and guiding us. So, uh, Simeon was a godly man, but he lived in a previous dispensation, the Old Testament dispensation, where the Holy Spirit was upon a person, but now the Holy Spirit's within us. So don't think you have to have some special, amazing Holy Spirit experience. When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. The goal is to listen to Him, learn from Him, be guided by Him. So let's jump back into verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, when he took him up in his arms, I remember the first time I held my baby sister. She was a brand new baby. My mom had just come home from the hospital. And I was still in, in elementary school, sixth grade was still elementary school then. And so I was close, we lived really close to the house. I ran home at lunch and I got my picture taken holding my baby sister. And I'm, I'm holding her just scared to death. She's this fragile little thing and I got this picture taken. And then I went back to school and I got a Polaroid taken so I could take it back to school and say, look what I did at lunch, you know. And... Uh, that my brother was in junior high, and he ran home carrying his books and his trombone a mile all the way home running because he wanted to be the first one to hold Lori. And when I got home, he told me I was first, and I held up my picture. But you know, when, when Simeon held this baby... I don't know if it was like this or when it says he held him up, maybe, you know, he had big hands and so he had one hand where part of it was on the shoulder and then he's supporting the neck and holding the head and then he's holding the baby and maybe he held him up like this, maybe he held him up like this, like that. We, we don't know. The important thing is he held Jesus and recognized him for who he was. Look at what it says. Lord, verse 29, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What catches your attention? What holds your attention? The first characteristic that we see in Simeon that is something that we should model in our own lives is he had spiritual reverence. Spiritual reverence. There was a, a holiness, a, a saintliness to his life. There was a dedication to follow the Lord. There was a recognition that God was at work 
on him, in him, through him. He recognized that. He was appreciating that. So how is his character described in this passage of Scripture? There's two words used. What are they? Just and devout. I had a feeling that would come from your voice, Tim. He was speaking about that Christmas Eve. Just and devout. He was just and devout. He was a just man, a righteous man. He tried to do the right thing, tried to treat people in the right way, and he was devout. He was dedicated to the Lord. There was a, a spiritual reverence about him as he followed the Lord. And then it says his spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, in our day, if we were talking about somebody who was spiritual, we wouldn't say, ooh, they have the Holy Spirit, because all believers have the Holy Spirit. We would say they walk with the Spirit. They just give evidence of the Holy Spirit being in their life. Some people have the Holy Spirit because they believed Christ, but they're not walking with Him. The Bible says believers can grieve the Holy Spirit, they can quench the Holy Spirit, but, but we can also walk with Him and flourish in that relationship with God. And, and we would say Simeon was one of those guys. He was really walking with the Lord. And so he had the Holy Spirit on him. And uh, your walk with the Lord needs to start with spiritual reverence, just like that prayer. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. We, we want to exalt Him. We want to recognize who He is. Now, in the Bible, Jesus was called a friend to sinners. But the guys who called Him Jesus when they first met Him, what did they call Him after His resurrection? Lord. They rarely called him just Jesus. If they used the name Jesus, it was usually the Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. Joel, I'm getting a lot of glare. Would you mind grabbing that door? Thanks. Uh, Jesus the Christ. They didn't just say, Jesus, my buddy. I remember talking to a friend in the Marine Corps, and he had done something. He was a believer. He had done something that I think was really Believers shouldn't do. And so I was just talking with them about it. And to be honest with you, I was a Marine. I was harsh. I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps. You don't get to be sergeant in the Marine Corps by being Mr. Nice Guy and Friendly. Uh, I, and so I was a little harsh. And I was kind of unfriendly in this conversation with my friend. But, but the goal was to get him to correct his life to the Lord. And so I talked to him about that God hates the sin that he did. The Bible clearly said it was sin. God hates that sin. And, and he says, no, man, Jesus is my friend. Okay, humanly speaking, if you've read through the New Testament, who was the guy that was probably the closest to Jesus? John, called John the Beloved. When John writes, he never uses his own name. He always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. The interesting thing is, none of the other guys refuted that. None of them said, you know, when Peter wrote his letter, he said, listen, you know, John said he was the disciple whom Jesus loved, but really it was me. You know, at my mom's memorial service, my older sister got up and said she was mom's favorite. And then my older brother got up and he said he was mom's favorite. 
And then I got to have the last word. And of course, you know, I said I was mom's favorite. Uh, They didn't do that. They all just let it go. John was the disciple whom Jesus loves, and they were accepting of that. So, humanly speaking, John was Jesus' best friend when they were on the earth. And then John wrote about Jesus in his epistles. And he doesn't say, Jesus, my buddy, we used to hang out by the sea. He writes about the Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted one. Jesus had four brothers whose names are mentioned in Scripture. Two of them, they're included in the Scripture because they wrote books. One is called James, the book of James, written by the brother of the Lord. And he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus. Then there's another book written by Jude, also a half-brother of Jesus. And he calls himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, that's what James did too, not just of Jesus, but the Lord Jesus Christ. They were his half-brothers. They had the same mother, Mary. They had the father, Joseph. Jesus did not have the father, Joseph. He was the miraculous virgin-born Son of God and God the Son. But these guys, they were his brothers growing up. And they didn't say, man, let me tell you about Jesus, my brother. They said, let me tell you about my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his servant. I'm his bond slave. See, there needs to be a sacredness about the Lord. And in a lot of our churches, we're missing that. My mother-in-law visited a church one Sunday morning. And, well, one Sunday, I don't know if it was morning or evening. She visited this church. And the pastor got up and he, was talk- he started to pray to God. And praying to God where Jesus said, this is how you pray, our Heavenly Father. You start out with a reverence. Hallowed be your name. And so he began his prayer saying, Dear Daddy, is Jesus our, I mean, is is God the Father our Daddy in the technical sense? Yes. He's our spiritual Father. So there have been times when uh, one or another of my kids has done something that I thought was spiritually significant. And so I told them, you know, both of your dads are proud of you right now. Their earthly father, their heavenly father. But, but do we address God as daddy? No. My boys have called me some choice names. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but they don't reverence me. We, we have friendship. And although we have a certain level of friendship with the Lord, He's the Lord. In the same way, if you were best friends with the person who became president, when you walked into the Oval Office, you wouldn't call him, hey, bud. You'd call him Mr. President or Mrs. President, depending on how things go in the future. You You would address that person by the title because it's so significant. And so when we come to God, there needs to be a spiritual reference reverence in our prayers. So you must worship and revere him. So are you attentive to the things of God? For instance, when God's word is read, do you tune in? Do you kind of hang on and listen? A little earlier in the service, uh, Clorinda read a part and then Tim read a part. Did you tune in for the announcements and then kind of tune out when the scripture's read because you're waiting for the next thing? 
There needs to be a spiritual reverence. There was with Simeon. He loved the Lord. He, he was pursuing the Lord. And so you need to be attentive to the things of God. Did you ever see that movie, Up? Yeah. When they want to distract the dogs, they say squirrel. And the dogs just whip. Well, Benjamin and I had seen that movie, and we were um, at home, and we weren't paying much attention, and Kathy was trying to tell us something, and we were both distracted by something else. And so Kathy yelled, squirrel! And of course, what did we do? We both looked up, and she said, wow, it really works. (laughs) Does God need to say squirrel to you to get you to pay attention to him? Here's the second thing, is thoughtful obedience. And this is the order, spiritual reference and then thoughtful obedience. See, what, here's what some people try and do. They try and get on God's good side. So they're going to do all these good things so that when they get to heaven, uh, Peter will let them in the pearly gate. There's nothing in the scripture that says anything about Peter standing at any gate. In fact, the only mention of pearly gates in heaven, they're open so that those who deserve to be in heaven can come in. There's nothing about closed gates and trying to earn your way in. So some people try and stack up their good works. How good would you have to be to make it into heaven on your own? Absolutely perfect. That's how good you would have to be. Oh, and one other thing. You'd have to be born without a sin nature. So we all miss out. There have been some wonderful people on planet Earth, some great humanitarians. But if you're doing humanitarian, philanthropic ministries trying to earn God's favor, you're missing out. See, that's supposed to be a response to God's favor. Now that you're in His family, you want to act like one of His kids. So now you do those nice things. Thoughtful obedience. And by the way, I specifically use the word thoughtful. How many of you parents have had a child obey on the outside, but you were pretty sure they weren't on the inside? Any parent in here ever experienced that? Anybody sitting by that kid? You can point at them. So. <laughs> well, I said you could point at them. John and Anna already were. They had all hands pointing over. Yeah, you know, and, and I know John's mom, and so I, she would say the same thing <laughs> about when John was little. You know, sometimes, sometimes we all struggle to obey. But when we really think about it, obeying's the right thing to do. That's Romans 12. Present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the logical thing to do because of what God has done for you. Thoughtful obedience. So the Spirit... Uh, Simeon followed wherever the Spirit led him. Verse 27, he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically spell it out that way, but the idea mentioned here is that he's following the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's upon him as the Holy Spirit did in that day. In our day, he's within us. And so now the Holy Spirit's leading him to do this, and so he goes there. And you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to do something. And sometimes it won't quite make sense to you at the time. 
I've shared illustrations before where I really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to go visit this one guy, or I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to talk to this teenage girl about something, and I didn't know them that well, and yet I obeyed, and, and they both responded very positively. The, the guy, 78 years old, I got to lead him to Christ, and, and the girl, she had made a decision. She um, was going to end her life. And she went to camp and said, if God doesn't speak to me here at camp, then I'm going to just end it. And I felt the Holy Spirit give me a message, and I shared it with her, and it changed her life, changed the trajectory. She thought her life was ending, and it put her on a different track. She's happily married now and serving the Lord. But we don't never give up on the capacity for change. Thoughtful obedience. Just, just obey what you know. You, know. you know what we'd like? What we would like is to know right now which companies are going to boom this year. So we can put some money in their stock so next year we can rejoice in the abundance from that boom. How many of you ever invested in something that seemed like a really good idea and it tanked? Right? You know, I remember buying this car. Oh, we had to have that car. Kathy, it wasn't that gung-ho on it, but I, you know, we really had to have that one. It was just, it was the right thing, right time, right deal, negotiated the deal, got a lower price than I was even willing to, and we bought that car, and two years later, we sold it for an $800 loss. We lost thousands of dollars in that car. And sometimes people buy into a sure thing, and it ends up not. But when you obey the Lord, it's always a sure thing. Even if temporarily, it hurts. It's still a sure thing. It's the right thing. And so that's the kind of guy Simeon was. So, um, thoughtful obedience. Remember that prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when you really pray, your will be done on earth, that's where you live. And so you are... Asking the Lord to help you do His will in your life and to bring others into that relationship with Him. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, when the, you know, verse uh, 21 was talking about uh, Mary and Joseph going up with Jesus for His, uh, his circumcision and naming, that's uh, expressed in Scripture from Exodus 13, 1 and 2. And then, uh, in obedience to the law, they now present the Lord publicly, and uh, that's spelled out in Leviticus chapter 12. So, listen, God loves each of His children, but those who walk in obedience find greater favor with Him. Just, let's put it this way, okay? Let's picture a guy who has 10 kids, and, and this guy who has 10 kids... Out of those 10 kids, seven of them are doing a good job and they're, they're doing a great job in school or whatever. And then he's got three who are the problem kids. All right, in that scenario of those 10 kids, you, you know some people in this room who'd be in that problem kid part, or at least would have been at some point in their life, right? And so now you got these seven. Which one is the dad the most excited by? the ones who are doing good. 
Which ones are the ones that dad's most likely going to enjoy hanging around with? The ones who are trying to do the good thing. Does he love them all? Is he willing to sacrifice for all of them for their good? Absolutely. They're all his kids. But he finds his greater joy in the ones who walk with him. I can tell you in my own life, I have a great relationship with my son Nathan. In fact, if it weren't for Nathan, I would have never been able to even try doing the Grand Canyon, and I would have never survived the down-and-out hike in one day. But, but he helped me, and he went with me every step of the way and helped me out and carried my pack, and, and, and we survived it together. I have a great relationship with him. But I can go back a long time before when he was still a teenage boy, and there was a time we didn't have a very good relationship. And I can remember... When he would ask to go somewhere, I can remember saying yes, just so he'd go away. So that I would feel less stress. And now, I love hanging out with him. What's the difference? Does he obey me better now? He doesn't obey me at all. He doesn't have to. I don't try and make him obey me. The difference is, he's trying to walk with the Lord. I'm trying to walk with the Lord. We, we have common ground, and in that day, we didn't have as much common ground. And so God is, God loves everybody. There is not a person in here who can do anything to separate yourself from God's love if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. He will show His love to you forever. But God enjoys those who walk with Him. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those that are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Maybe you have some baggage. You failed the Lord. But, but listen, there's some good news, right? Your life can change now. You can say, God, forgive me for my sins. I want to restore my relationship with you. Or you could say, God, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I need a Savior. Forgive my sins. Bring Jesus Christ into my life. God will answer those prayers. 1 John 1, 9. When, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He does the right thing every time. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus said, come to me, come to me. And then he said, you will find rest for your souls when you come to him. Psalm 51, uh, David's prayer of repentance. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. At, at any point in your life, David was a believer who was walking with the Lord, who strayed away, and now he repents and comes back to God, and he has a great relationship with him. At any point in your life, you can step off the path you're on and step on a path of greater obedience. And it's not just the Bible that gives you that hope. Actually, medical research, psychological research in the functioning of the brain says that. In his book, uh, Boundaries for Leaders, this is what um, Dr. Henry Cloud wrote. He said, when we pay attention to something repeatedly, 
the necessary wiring is formed that makes it possible for us to learn new things, take right actions, and achieve our goals. Old dogs can learn new tricks. There's elasticity and plasticity in the brain so that you can learn new things. And, you know, sometimes, have you ever been on a road where it's really badly rutted? And you have to kind of ride up on the edge of the rut or else your car will bottom out and you're, you'll be stuck with your wheels just spinning. And, and we can get that way in our life. But all you have to do to get out of a rut is turn. And it gets you up and out of that rut. And you can walk with the Lord. You can make a choice. You can make an adjustment in your life. Uh, you can begin paying more attention to God. Start focusing on the things of God. And your brain will rewire itself. You're not stuck. You can change. And you start really focusing on the things of God. I didn't know that medical science proved that till after I'd experienced that in my own life. I was a teenage alcoholic when I got saved, and it, I really struggled with it for a while after I got saved. And then I made a decision I was going to not drink. And, and I looked at every verse in the Bible about alcohol, and at my conclusion, I came up, you know, the best thing is to not drink. That's the best thing for me. I know some of you haven't made that conclusion. Your life maybe wasn't as messed up as mine was. But there's way more verses in Scripture that warn on the dangers of alcohol. There's a lot of them. And so be careful. If you ever feel like you need a drink, go get help. Don't get a drink. And so... I, I read all these verses, and then once I got my brain wired thinking about the dangers of it and the problems of it, then I suddenly had the capacity to say no. And that's how God's Word works with the way He wired our brain. God made this brain. I tell my wife that every now and then. You know, God made it that way. Uh, and she reminds me that God can help me change it too. But, uh, but you know, the truth is that... that your brain has the capacity to do great things for God, to learn great things about God, to teach things about God. And you can change the channel in your brain by focusing your thoughts on something else. I used to really struggle with anger. I still have some issues, but I used to really struggle with it. And when I surrendered to be a pastor... Kathy said her great fear was knowing that someday I was going to punch out one of the deacons. Okay? I've been a pastor for 30 years about, and that's never happened. And Lord willing, <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know Tim. It's really tempting sometimes. but <laughs> I figure if Clorinda can keep from smacking him, so can I, you know. Uh, but the truth is, God can change your life. And, and you can have messed up seriously. Ask His forgiveness. He forgives you seriously and starts you on a new path. How many of you are people who were on the wrong path and then you got back on the right path and it's great with God? Just say amen. 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 There's a bunch of us here, right? 
So you learn thoughtful obedience. You start thinking about God, focusing on God, learning His Word, and then changing where you're going. All right, here's the third thing, joyful experience. That's where we want to start. We want to start with the joyful experience. Now, I on purpose use this picture of this older couple. They look pretty happy together. Every couple that gets married dreams of having a deep, abiding relationship. But most of them don't make it. Most. Some of you in here, you stood and you said, I do, and you meant it with all your heart, and you thought the person you said, I do, too, meant it with all their heart, but they didn't. And you ended up divorced because they made bad choices that affected you. But you see, we want the joyful experience first. People want to come to the Lord. I remember talking with a guy. His life was a mess. We, we talked for a couple hours, actually, and then he trusted Christ as his Savior, and then he was here in church the next week, and then, then I went and, and had lunch with him that second week, and then he was in church that next week, and then I saw him a couple days later, and he, he's just given up on God because he wanted God to not just take his sin away but take all his problems away. And God's Word says, once you become a child of God, it's now your responsibility to grow and mature in the Lord. And He wanted God to do all the heavy lifting. God does His part. He forgives our sin, and we can't do anything about that. You are not saved by anything you do. You are saved by receiving a gift of salvation in Christ. But then once you receive that gift, you have some responsibilities to serve the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to grow in the Lord. And so, was Simeon an old man? You know, there's that, well, the Bible doesn't clearly say, but there's two things that make me kind of think he was, because like in verse 26, he says, uh, uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Uh, it's almost as if he's maybe beyond the age of death or he's at the age where he would expect to be dying and, and now he's seen the Lord's Christ. And then verse 25 sounds like he fully expected his life journey was complete now because he says, you are now letting your, or you are letting your servant depart in peace, Lord, now. So um, I, we, I don't know whether he was an old guy or not. You know, I mean, there's other illustrations in scripture like Jacob, also called Israel. And Jacob uh, came to he met Joseph face to face, and Jacob said, now I'm ready to die. And then he lived another 17 years. Uh, so, so we don't know if he was an old man or not. It's possible he went home, laid down on his bed, and died. That's what Joseph did. He blessed his sons, laid back on the bed, and died. But Simeon's age is not nearly so important. It doesn't matter how long you live. It matters how well you live. A life well-lived that ends at 18 is better than a life poorly lived that ends at 118. You need to walk with the Lord. Simeon saw a glimpse of the total life of Christ. I like to say he saw the glory 
and the gory. He saw him on the cross. He, he saw the blessings and the cursings, the, the truth and the fulfillment of Scripture. He saw the hope and redemption of those who believe. And he gave evidence and he, he spoke it. He saw the light shining in darkness, calling people to salvation. Simeon had this amazing experience as he walked into the temple and he held this little baby and he rejoiced in what God was doing. Who else was in the temple that day? If you're reading in the book of Acts and it talks about them sharing in the temple and they're speaking from this certain portico in the temple and they're speaking to a crowd of people and the people believe, and 3,000 people got saved. That's a pretty good-sized courtyard, don't you think? In the temple courtyard could have had hundreds and thousands of people there, would have had priests and chief priests and the high priest and all these people serving in the temple. There would have been scribes there. There would have been Pharisees there, all these people there. And Simeon is the one who sees the Christ and recognizes him because he was the one looking for him. He was the one whose attention was focused on what God was doing. And sometimes we miss things because we're not looking. They did a study in a psychology lab of telling people to watch this basketball, and they're passing the basketball. They're, they're different studies that all have a similar thing. And they have to count how many times the, the basketball gets passed. And so people are watching the basketball, they're counting the basketball, and in the middle of that, a guy in a bear costume goes dancing through the room and goes out the other side. And they're done, and they ask, how many people, and you know, most people get the basketball passes right. They're notching another one in their head, or they're writing it down. They're, they're focused on that. How many of them saw the dancing bear? Almost none. Because they were looking at the ball, not the bear, or the guy in the bear suit. If you really saw a dancing bear, that'd be weird. I saw a bear walking on a beach ball at the circus once. But, but listen, you see what you're looking for. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was longing for, yearning for the Messiah to come. And he held Jesus and he saw the fullness of what God was going to do in Jesus because he had a heart for God. And you do not get that joyful experience unless it begins with a spiritual dedication and then a pattern of obedience. And then you get the joyful experience. You trust spiritual reverence. Obey thoughtful obedience. And then enjoy joyful experience. What catches your attention? What keeps See, you are in charge of your attention, and you can redirect it 
if you choose. And God will only redirect it on certain occasions, like he did with Moses in the burning bush, like he did with Paul in the light from heaven. But most of the time, God lets you suffer the consequences of your own attention deficit disorder when you're not focusing on the spiritual things. So we can make a choice to be more spiritually minded. We don't actually have to make a choice to be less spiritually minded. If we're not intentionally trying to be more spiritually minded to follow God, we'll gradually drift away. We'll gradually get caught up in the things of this world. We are bombarded with sensory inputs in our culture. And if we're not intentional about paying more attention to the Spirit, then we will pay less attention by nature of the culture in which we live. So, we're going to close not singing a Christmas song, although we've sung a bunch of those this month. Jim, Jim Ricosi was saying he wished we sang them all year long. There is a YouTube channel you can go to, Jim, and, and enjoy that. I'm glad we sing them, but I'm glad we do it now. I used to fuss at my kids when they would uh, watch or play Christmas music any time before December 1st. And you know what I did in September this year? I watched a couple Christmas movies. (laughs) But we can choose to focus our attention on the Lord or not. And if we don't, we lose. We're not the one he calls on. We're not the one the Holy Spirit sends to see the Christ. We're not the one who gets the experience. We're the one who misses out. Let's choose to walk with God.